Let's go ahead and turn our Bibles to Exodus 15. Uh, that's going to be our main, uh, our main uh, text for tonight. And tonight's name uh, is pretty closely linked. Last week we talked about um, uh, we talked about uh, the name of God, Jehovah Shalom. So the Lord is peace. Uh, and we talked about the idea that um, it it um, aligns with God's purposes and God's vision of the universe as being orderly. Right? We talked about how shalom is more than just peace. It's uh, wholeness and fulfillment and restoration and uh, like a, an active way of seeing the world that isn't just, hey, I'm not fighting with people. It's I'm loving everyone that I see um, in a deep and abiding way. Uh, well, the, the uh, word that we are, or the name that we are going to deal with tonight is Jehovah Rapha, um, which usually gets translated the God who, who heals. Um, and I'm going to suggest to you that it means something more like the God who mends uh, or God, uh, God restores. So it's closely linked up with that idea of shalom or peace. Um, and j- just a couple of thoughts here. Uh, Rapha, the, the kind of root word uh, that we're talking about, it's used about 60 times uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, and it means, as I said, something a lot closer to mend than to heal. So it's used in situations where like a garment is ripped and somebody sews it. Uh, they say the garment is healed, right? It's mended. But it's also used of uh, the body, right? And we're going to delve into that a little bit in a moment. But I, I wanted to read uh, this passage because it's where, uh, where the name first appears. And uh, let me go here. Uh, we're going to go to Exodus fifteen twenty-two, And let me set the stage. Um, So the children of Israel um, have just crossed the Red Sea. And we all all know this story, right? We've all all had the flannel graph in uh, Sunday school where they had the sea. And then, you know, or you've seen the Ten Commandments or uh, Prince of Egypt or, right? So you're all familiar with this story uh, of how they they come to the Red Sea. um, Pharaoh's army is chasing them. um, And uh, Moses... God says, strike the water with your rod, and he does, and it, it parts, right? And the children of Israel walk across on dry land, uh, and when they get to the other side, it collapses in on the Egyptians. Um, the beginning, so that ha- all that happens a couple chapters before this. Uh, and then uh, the children of Israel are encamped. They're ready, right? They're going to strike out towards uh, the promised land. Uh, and I, I'm going to mention this to you because it's important, I think, to the way that God is, um, is dealing with the children of Israel and what it means to restore or heal them. Uh, but uh, God himself is leading them, right? It says Moses is leading them throughout, but right, Moses is God's emissary. But more importantly, the Lord is appearing to them by day in a pillar of cloud, and by night in a pillar of fire, and it, it leads them to where they need to go, right? Just follow the cloud or follow this, this pillar of fire at night, and you'll get to where you need to go. Uh, and so when they crossed the Red Sea, uh, if you got onto Google Maps right now and you typed in uh, that you wanted to walk from Cairo, Egypt, to uh, Jerusalem, it would tell you that it takes about six days. 
Um, how long did it take the children of Israel to get to the promised land? 40, 40 years, right? So guys, get, get, get GPS. It's, it's a lot faster, you'll get there. Um, but what happens immediately after the Red Sea crossing is they start following this, this uh, pillar of smoke and pillar of fire, and it takes them in the wrong direction, it takes them out into the desert. Um, so let's start with uh, 1522, I said. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. The, the word Marah means bitter uh, or undrinkable uh, in, in Hebrew. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them, and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Uh, I am Jehovah Rapha. And they came to Elim, or, and they came to Elim, where were twelve wells of water and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Um, so, a couple of thoughts here, a couple observations about this story. Um, one, they uh, n notice what happens, right? The, the first, and we didn't read them, but the first 21 verses of this chapter are the children of Israel singing a song. Uh, and that song is about the victory that God gave them at the Red Sea, right? He, he overthrew the Egyptians. He destroyed them. He, you know, it goes, it goes on at some length. And it's, it's, it's a, a really beautiful poetic passage about the, Lord's, uh, the Lord putting his hand on creation and giving victory to his people. Um, so they're at, they're at the, highest, the highest high, um, and if you, um, if you know anything about, like, uh, the Jews of Jesus' time, or the, the, yeah, the Jews of Jesus' time, the, the Exodus, right, and especially the Red Sea crossing, are, are the most important event in Hebrew history to them. Like, that's, that, that's God directly touching creation uh, and, making a way, and making a way of deliverance for them when no other way was possible. Um, so at the end of their rope, they're, they're at the highest point that they can possibly get. Uh, and uh, sh surely they thought after the Red Sea crossing, well, I mean, Google says we have six days and then we'll be there, right? Sh surely they thought that. Um, and God says, no, go out into the wilderness. There's no water. And if you know anything about the Israelites and the rest of this story, they are not patient people. Like when things start going badly, uh, they get... They get really upset real quick. They're the complainingest bunch there ever was. Um, they, you know, there's a point where they're like, well, in Egypt we had cucumbers and melons and all kinds of stuff, and here we're, we're just eating what, this stuff that's falling out of the sky that God gives us every morning, not even stopping to think, God, God makes food fall out of the sky for us every morning. Um, right? Like, where, where there's no sustenance, no other way of living. Um, so... 
that they do that here, right? They get out in the wilderness. And, and of course, if you haven't drunk anything for three days, uh, you know, I'm, I'll give you that one. That, that's probably not fun. Um, so they're all dehydrated, and they get to this, uh, they get to this uh, lake uh, or uh, this oasis, Amara, and they go down into it, and they start to drink, and it's bitter. Um, have you ever given, a, I picture them kind of, have you ever given a little kid a, a lemon? made them suck on it, and they go, right? Uh, that's, that's how I put They're like, uh, or the time I had, uh, well, I won't. Uh, <laughs> I was going to talk about a holiday meal that I had once, but I won't. Um, not at your house, Mom, somewhere else. Uh, in any event, uh, so, so, right, they start thinking, ah, you know, we, we don't have anything to drink. And Moses gets these instructions from God. Well, one, he does the right thing, right? He prays. He says, Lord, what's your direction for me here? What, what do I do? And God says, shows him a tree. And he, it, here we ha- it says that he threw the whole tree in the water. I don't know if that's true, but he, I don't know if that's accurate, accurately translated, but he, he threw wood into the water and it made it drinkable. Uh, and there's all kinds of literature about, like, well, what kind of tree was it? And what did it do? It's a miracle. Like, let's not worry about what, <laughs> like, like what the chemical process was or whatever. He, it, he, he does this, and it works. Um, and then God says to them, uh, if, if you do what Moses just did, you diligently hearken unto my voice, you do what I say, you, um, you obey and follow me, um, you, you won't get the diseases that I sent to the Egyptians. And remember, before they left Egypt, right, the, the whole vehicle for them leaving was the ten plagues that God sent, right? Some of which manifested themselves as boils and other, all kinds of other bad, uh, bad stuff that was happening to the Egyptians, uh, both in their bodies and outside of it. Uh, and so uh, there's this... Uh, this promise to them that God is a powerful healer, right? That he is an, an, not just a person who will, or not just a, a, the God who delivered them, but a God who can heal them uh, and restore them. Uh, and, and I actually, uh, if we can step back really quickly uh, to verse 25, says, And he cried unto the Lord Moses, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet, now, the, the word that gets used there is the, the waters were made rafa. The waters were made whole. They were, they were restored because something, something was wrong with them. They were not good to drink. Um, so it, God doesn't just heal people, right? He heals the world, he mends the world. Um, and it's that, right, there's like this double action that is happening in this story. Um, so a couple, uh, again, a couple observations about this story that I, I, uh, I really like. Uh, one, uh, and we'll talk about some more meanings of Rafa here in a moment, uh, but um, healing is a process. How many of you have ever had something that was wrong with you or wrong with a loved one, and you prayed that they would be healed, and they were not? I, I just about everybody, right? When you get over a certain age, um, you know how how many, it, it's easy in those moments, right? To wonder, 
God, what are you doing? Like, what, what, you know, and, and it, it doesn't just extend to the body, but like broken relationships, broken, uh, uh, you know, broken situations that you might be in at work or uh, in, in your personal life, right? Uh, it, it is, uh, happens all the time that you pray about it and say, God, please take this situation away or please resolve it, please heal it. Um, and it, it doesn't happen in the way that you envision. Or maybe it doesn't happen at all. Um, and it's easy to read this story where God calls himself the great healer, right? And say, what, what's going on, God? Why don't, you, why don't you show up in that way in every situation? Um, and the answer, I think, from this story, at least, is that sometimes God takes the long way. And he takes the long way, right? It, it, it really only would have taken them six days to walk from, from Cairo to Jerusalem. And they didn't, Cairo didn't exist then, but from Egypt to, Jeru- to, to, to Israel is, is not really that far. But they had to walk around for 40 years to figure something out, to be the kind of people that he needed them to be. And, and a better people than they would have been had they arrived in 10 days or whatever. Sometimes God takes the long way, uh, and it, it's painful. It's not fun, right? C.S. Lewis used to say that God is like a sculptor sculpting a living stone, right? A, a stone that can feel every strike at the chisel. Right? That's you, right? He, he is relentlessly shaping you into something better than you are, if you let him. Uh, and... It, it, the process is painful. The process is not fun. But when you arrive at the end, you'll find yourself more oriented in his direction, more aligned with his will, and more, more blessed than you can imagine. And I'll illustrate that here in a moment. Uh, I think, so uh, my son is, uh, I was going to say he's an Olympic weightlifter, but that implies he went to the Olympics. He does the Olympic lifts, like, so there's the snatch and the, the, uh, the clean and split jerk. So you, you pick the barbell up and you throw it up in the air and squat down and then you do the split jerk, throw it over your head. Um, and I took him to a competition uh, last weekend uh, and I was talking to his coach and his coach said, uh, you know, and Gideon is a pretty big kid now. Uh, he's like... 220 pounds or something. Um, so I was, was talking to his coach, and I was like, um, "Can you, you, you know, relay to me like what you teach the kids? Like how do you how do you get somebody uh, how do you get from being somebody like me who can barely squat 200 pounds to somebody who can who can hoist 200, 230 pounds over their head? How, how do you get there?" And he said, "It's a lot of pain. It's your muscles." Right? Are they only grow when you subject them to tension and stress? That's that's why you get sore after you exercise or go go out and weed or whatever. Your muscles are responding and they're trying to grow. Um, he says you so you start with a little bit of weight and you lift it up as many times as you can and, until it hurts. That when it hurts, you know it's working. Uh, and then you go to sleep, and then you eat enough, and you go to sleep, and you do the same thing again the next day. And eventually, 
you'll, you know, you'll fill out, right? Um, same thing is true of running. David and I have, have run many, many marathons together uh, over time. Uh, I beat him once. I beat him once. Only once. I think he let me. But um, it, right, it, if you want to get faster, the legs in your muscles need to grow, and the way that they grow is that you subject them to tension and stress and pain, uh, and then they'll respond. That's what God's doing with the children of Israel in this passage. This is why he's taking them the wrong way. He's not the God who heals. He's the God who mends and restores and makes better. Right? He's building in them the spiritual and the psychic muscles that they will need for the tests ahead to be God's chosen people in a hostile world. I, uh, uh, th- there's a, an excellent book by Gary Yates, uh, a professor at, at Liberty, uh, who says that uh, God needed time and the wilderness to take a nation of slaves, right, and he, he took them out of, of Egypt, and they're out there in the desert, he made them weird, and he made them, he shaped them into a weapon that was aimed at the heart of God's enemies in Canaan. But, but it couldn't happen overnight. It, ha- it had to happen over the slow accumulation of 40 years. And so when you face trials and tribulations, when things are not working out the way that you, you wish they would. It, it, it'd be awfully nice if I could just tell God, hey God, this is the way I would like, this is the way I'd like for this whole situation to be resolved. And if, like if you could do it like now, that would be awesome. Or like maybe, 10, maybe 11 minutes from now, that'd be great. We'd get done by 7.30. But that's not the way it works. God wants you to be better than that. Um, so that's, that's a point I'll make here. Uh, and then also, um, I notice what happens here after they get, um, after the waters are made sweet, right? He says, it says in verse 27, and they came to Elam where there were 12 wells of water, one for each tribe, right? So they, they went from a little lake where the water was bitter and it had to be made better for them, or had to be mended for them to drink it. it took them beyond, Right? into a place where there was abundant water for everyone. Each tribe had its own well. And three score and ten palm trees with dates on them. It doesn't say with dates on them, but that's what palm trees have on them. So there was, there was plenty to eat there as well. And they encamped there by the waters. I think this is a picture um, of, in many ways, of the believing life. And by that, I mean... Uh, I mean this. There are three bodies of water in this story. Right? One is the Red Sea, right? where they were saved. Right? God salvaged them from the Egyptians. He drew them out of Egypt and, and delivered them. That's, to me, analogous to God saving me. Right? When I entered into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I crossed the Red Sea. Number two, they came to a trial, right, a test at Mara. The water was bitter. They could not drink it. But their leader, right, he, he illustrated what they needed to do. Trust in God. He didn't bring you into the desert for no reason. Right? The water will be mended, and so will you. And then beyond that, 
right? At, at the end of the story, they go to this place called Elam. And what do they find there? More abundance than they ever imagined, right? When they, got, when they first got to the, the, that little pond that was all bitter, right? They got to a place of abundance. And to me, that, that is illustrative of the surprise and blessing inherent in the Christian life, right? You, you get saved, you experience trial, you experience tribulation, God delivers you. Um, and, and once that happens, right, you can get beyond that into a place of abundance and fulfillment. Um, so uh, that's that story. Um, that's where the, um, like the, the phraseology Jehovah Rapha or the God who heals comes from. But I, I want to carry that theme a little bit further because it's not just a... Um, it's not just a, a, a story for the Old Testament, right? It prefigures something that happens in the New Testament, right? The ministry of Jesus is a healing ministry. So let's turn really quickly to Luke 4. And the other point I'm, I'm not making here, um, and I'm, I'm going to give you some verses that I won't turn to because I, I have about 10 minutes before I lose you. Um, and I want to make sure I, I cover this. Um, but Rapha is used uh, of all kinds of um, mending or healing or restoration situations, right? Uh, there's uh, restoration of the body, and that is 2 Kings 5.10. Of the mind, that's Daniel 4.34. And these are just illustrations, not not like... They're not the only time these things happen. Psalm 34, 18 talks about healing of the heart. Psalm 103, 2 through 3 talks about the uh, restoration of the spirit. Uh, and 1 Kings 18, 30 talks about restoration of the environment, the world itself. Um, if we were to turn over to Romans, which we will not, uh, we would see that Paul talks about... Uh, in one of my favorite passages, how all of creation knows that something is wrong, right? All of creation is groaning with death, he tells us. It's awaiting the arrival of the sons of God. It's, it's waiting to be restored. And, you know, you can talk to anybody in the world, even somebody who's never heard of Christ, who's never heard of Christianity, and even they have a recognition, right? That they won't be held blameless because they have a recognition that some, something's not Something's not right about this situation. It's, it's evident in the, the air and the water and the way we treat each other in, in everything about the world. It's, there's a lot of beauty in the world, but something is fundamentally wrong. And Paul talks about that a little bit in Romans, uh, how the creation itself will be mended or restored. So let's go to Luke 4, 14. Okay, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet uh, Isaiah, or Isaiah, 
And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. So when a, um, the same scripture is being read, um, I don't know how to put it. The scriptures are, the days are divvied up. Or the scriptures are divvied up by day. So if you went into a synagogue on a particular day, it wouldn't matter what synagogue you went into, you would hear the same passage read. Does that make sense? Like there, at, every, at every other synagogue in the world at, uh, on the day that Jesus went into this place, they were reading from this same passage of Isaiah. That's my point. So he gets up and he, and he begins to read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, so he starts to preach. He, he, he was sitting, so the rabbi sits when he when he teaches, he sits, and when he reads, he stands. So when it says he sat down, he didn't go sit like in the audience. He got in the teacher's chair. And he said, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing, or in your ears. Th- this is one of the most profound passages in all the, all the New Testament. right? This is the opening of Christ's ministry. And he, he reads this, this focused passage from Isaiah, where he, and, and it says... I'm here to heal. I'm here to mend the world, to heal the brokenhearted, to give sight to the blind, to, right? All this stuff, uh, to, to give freedom to the captives. And then he says, all of this, everything I just read, is being accomplished right now in your hearing. I'm that guy in Isaiah. The, the me in Isaiah is me. And... Uh, I bet you couldn't hear a pin drop in there, right? I, I, I bet people were like, because you see in the next passage, uh, and all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Right? He, no, he's not. He's, the, he's here to heal you. He's here to make everything right. Uh, he's here to make all the sad things come untrue. And it starts right now, he says. It starts right now in your hearing. There are a hundred other places in, in that I could turn to uh, in the New Testament that, um, that make this point. But um, Christ came to heal the body, came to heal the heart, and he came to heal the spirit. And he does that many, many places. Um, and I, again, I, it, it, the time would be exhausted if I went through every passage where he heals somebody. It's his, it's his primary mode of operation and interacting with people is to heal them. Um, think about that, right? If, if you are an Old Testament Jew, or if you're a, a, a Jew of this time, time period, first, or a second temple Jew, Jewish person, and the central event of history to you is the Exodus. You know the story we just read. Right? You know it. You know Exodus 15, 20 through, 22 through 27. You know that uh, Jehovah God is Jehovah Rapha. You know that he's the God who heals. 
imagine going to see this guy and he says, I'm accomplishing everything that Isaiah talks about and I'm going to heal people. Think about that, right? Think about the connection that that would fire in your mind immediately. That's that guy. And and I said, that's what you would say. That's Messiah. Um, his, His ministry is a healing ministry because God is a healing God. And the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. That's the story. Um, wait just a moment. So application. What can we learn from this? Hang on. All right, I've got five minutes before I lose you. Um, and I'm going to take a quick drink of water. Thank you. So application. Uh, what can we learn? Well, our view of healing has to be broader. Um, and I, again, we didn't go into all the, um, all of the, the verses that I cited, but uh, God heals in many ways, right? It's not just that he takes the long route. Sometimes he heals you uh, or restores things in ways you didn't expect. Um, there are, there's restoration of the mind. There's restoration of the community. There's restoration of the heart. There's all kinds of restoration that doesn't involve getting rid of your cancer or healing your leg. Um, I, I wake up every morning and I have, uh, something's wrong with my hand. I don't know what it is. Um, and the guy, he put an injection in it and it, it made it feel great for like six weeks. And now it doesn't feel so great anymore. It just clicks all the time. I think I have, Dequer, they call it Dequervain syndrome or mommy thumb, a much, much less sexy name. Um, and... I, I wish that would go away. Um, and as I was, I was uh, reading this, I thought, maybe God's trying to teach me something. <laughs> I don't know what, but maybe. Um, but, and of course, we all know many, many people with illnesses and problems that are far more serious than my thumb, right? Poor Logan is out there in Houston right now receiving tests. God is doing something. <laughs> And it could be that it, it may not be the removal of his cancer. That, that's possible. Jehovah Rapha doesn't always, right? He, he doesn't always heal the body. Sometimes he restores the spirit. Sometimes he draws a community closer together. Like we have to think about that. Um, and we have to talk about it as we process what's happening to him. So that we have to take a broader view of healing and we have to trust in the Lord to, rest, to restore in the way that, that creates the world or that aligns the world more perfectly to his will. That's hard. That takes some trust. Right? God, uh, as I said, it, it'd sure be nice if he'd do things on my timetable uh, and in the way I like. And we have, to see, we have to seek to pray to God as a God of restoration and wholeness in everything. Right, it's not just uh, uh, we are very attuned to when somebody needs to be healed physically, right? Like that's it's very apparent to us, and we are we're very faithful, I think, as a community and as individuals to pray for people who are who are sick, right? The the prayer list, I don't, the, you know, I, they passed out a prayer. If you look at that, it will be filled with filled with names of people who need physical healing. And that's, that's good. Right? We should pray for that. 
but I would challenge you also to think about relationships that you need restored, um, about maybe anger that you have towards somebody else, about you know, job situations, or just, just about everything, right? God, God can restore it all. And we should think through that uh, and take this, this much broader view of, of what God can mend. So I guess just in conclusion, the healing may not arrive in the way that we would like. Um, may take more time and energy uh, than we want. It may take a lot. But if we let it, we can find restoration. And like, like the Jews, like the Hebrew people uh, in Exodus, right? Once we get beyond... The, the restoration, God has more in store for us.